Miami. Deep pattern. Downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw to Monte Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we're going to continue previewing the 2021 NFL Draft now, just a week and a half away at Hard Rock Stadium, our live draft party and YouTube show. Go ahead and make sure you RSVP to that or check us out on the YouTube channel. But on today's podcast, we have Matt Harmon of Yahoo Sports and the Reception Perception Project talking all things wide receivers, a busy, busy edition of the Drive Time Podcast today. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins and real quick, before we get to Matt Harmon, I've talked about this on the podcast just a little bit, that I'm back in South Florida for the first time since the end of the season and doing the podcast from here. And I got to go to the offices at the stadium for the first time. I had worked previously at the offices in Davie at the current old training facility. We'll be in the new facility sometime this summer, hopefully. But I was in the stadium for the first time, and man, the views from Hard Rock Stadium, the seeing the the field, you know, just going to work and seeing the, the actual field at Hard Rock Stadium and, and being part of South Florida, it's it really is a dream come true, and it kind of was a moment that I took to myself today to to just kind of step back and look at everything and be like, this, this is where it's all at. This is where I want to be. So I'm very grateful and happy to be bringing you guys this coverage of Miami Dolphins football here on the Drive Time Podcast, and I have also been talking a lot about F1, Formula One racing, because of the Netflix show, and I'm going to start watching the the weekly races, just finished up the, the Sunday episode, or Sunday race, I should say, uh, this, this past weekend, and you know, I, I talk about the driving in South Florida and how it's a little bit enticing to drive like an F1 racer because everyone else out there does. Well, I did go to the rental company to replace my car, which is in the body shop because I was in that accident back in October. Somebody rear-ended me getting that fixed. And all they had available for me was a Chrysler Pacifica minivan, which don't don't knock it because it's a great vehicle. But, you know, 33-year-old guy who doesn't have his wife and kid here in South Florida driving around a minivan... Maybe I feel a little bit less cool. I don't know. You tell me. Is it, Can you make a minivan any cool? I do have the F1 in me, though, kind of buzzing that thing around down here in South Florida. And the reason I bring this all together was because I have a great story about driving in South Florida I wanted to share. Before we get to Matt Harmon on the podcast, there was... I was at on Miramar Parkway at a busy intersection. I think it was Palm Avenue. It might have been a busier street than that. But there's a shopping center right by there. And somebody was pulling out of that shopping center trying to get across the left turn lane. So I created a gap between me and the car ahead of me. So those cars had an avenue to pull through and get through traffic and not have to wait for another go round of a lengthy traffic signal. And the person behind me, not even kidding, pulls into the right-hand turn lane, jumps in front of me, and takes that vacant spot that I left nicely for people to use and cut off that entire way of traffic. So welcome to South Florida, baby. I guess that's how we do it down here. That's enough of my driving stories. We're going to go ahead and welcome into the show right now the author of Reception Perception, one of the best receiver minds in the entire game, Matt Harmon from Yahoo Sports. Let's go ahead and roll this interview. And we've been talking pass catchers on this podcast weekly, if not daily, for months now. And we are bringing it home with one of the heaviest hitters 
in that world, in that realm. He's a writer for writer and analyst for Yahoo. He's the creator of Reception Perception, a great website, great content there talking all things pass catchers. He is Matt Harmon. And Matt, I love the last line of your Twitter bio. I did it my way. I love that. Welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Travis. I really appreciate it. And yeah, that is a uh, an ode to a Frank Sinatra lyric uh, from the song "My Way." Um, it's it's actually like a very personal sort of story about my my grandma, who I was very close with when she passed away. I remember like that song because it just it's you know it, it seems like a person at the end of their life. They're going on to the next journey, and they did it their way. And I always kind of took after after that happened and, you know, pursuing a career in football and everything like that, I always just sort of looked at it as a, you know, I want to do things my way. If I do, uh, if I do this thing, if I actually make it happen and, you know, uh, spoiler alert, it happened. It worked <laughs> out. <laughs> I want to do it my way. I want to do it uh, in a fashion that, you know, I can, you know, as a man, I can live with and I can look back on and be be proud of. And, and uh, you know, I think uh, I like to think I did a pretty decent job at it. Yeah, I wanted to follow up on that because, you know, I have a very unconventional path to this position myself. And I'm always curious to hear about people in this industry's path, because not everyone in this day and age did the journalism journalism school route. And then you do the high school paper and then you move up to college. Like not everyone does that these days. And so, you know, my own path was or your, your path obviously steeped heavily in charting, which I, I just love that work. And that's, that's how I came across your work. I did some of my own charting for a website that I created called third and 10, five or six years ago. And it taught me so much nice. about the game because I just was so, you know, intimate with every single detail of every single play. So I wanted to ask you, how did you get into charting and how did that eventually evolve into reception perception? Yeah, it, it is interesting. Like this is back, you know, way in the origin story of kind of, uh, pursuing this as a career, my original life plan was to go back to school uh, and continue my degree in, in studying social theory uh, in, in like sociology and eventually get a PhD and like become an academic. Clearly, I'm sitting here in my uh, backwards hat and, and looking at football <laughs> players like I did not become an academic, right? <laughs> Basically, I just decided like I loved football. I was in a, just a, a pretty tough place in, in life. You know, life throws you curveballs and um, needing to respond to it in a way. Uh, I just found something that I, I got a lot of joy from, which was analyzing the game. You know, I was obsessed with football. I was obsessed with fantasy. I, I knew like, you know, every Madden roster back to front uh, in like the 2013, 2014 era. So I started a website. All my friends had really pushed me to, to go that direction. But, you know, because I was a, literally a nobody, you know, like just some guy in a one bedroom apartment in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, just trying to figure out the game just like you, I wanted to understand the intricacies of football from every situation. So that's when I just started charting games, a lot of different stuff. You know, I did some work with quarterbacks too. decided I hated it, <laughs> and, uh, you know, offensive line, defensive line, just trying out different things. Yeah. And I think that's something probably people don't, don't really know about that. You know, like I said, I was charting all these different positions and the one that just stuck to me really was wide receivers because I always tell people if they're trying to start out in this space or kind of trying to find their own way, my, my thing that I encourage everybody to do is try to be the person that answers the question, the biggest question that you have about football. And for me, it was, you know, what are wide receivers doing when they run off the screen on Sundays? Because we know this, anybody that follows football or anybody that plays fantasy football, like there's so much that goes into it from a production standpoint. Someone has to go right for a wide receiver just to get a target, a catch, a yard, like be able to put those points up on the board they're not their own individual performances is, is very separate from all that. So, and if you just even 
any basic stat, but even more advanced stats like catch rate, yards per target, you're inherently welcoming in the variable of the quarterback at the bare minimum, but you're also the offensive line's got to be blocking for them, right? They got to be put into a good position by the head coach. So that's really the, where the idea uh, of reception perception came about was I wanted to try to isolate wide receiver performance as much as possible from those outside variables and really study and try to quantify the qualitative reality of route running. Because to me, it was, look, the one thing that the wide receiver can control, like stats and just throw that out, they can't really control that too much on their own. The one thing that they can control is do they run good routes? Do they get open? Uh, and do they present that good target for the quarterback to earn a target? And then obviously do they catch the ball and do good things with it after that? So reception perception is essentially trying to tell you all of that, anything you want to know about a wide receiver. And, and that all came out of, of basically charting games and, finding that one thing I really wanted to figure out. I watch games at Hard Rock Stadium now, so it's different for me. But back when I was, you know, uh, uh, you know, affixed on the television set, I would have the same complaint every Sunday. Give me a view where I can see the receivers and downfield. Yeah. Give me that, that you mentioned Madden, the behind the formation, but pull it back a little bit so I can see the entire box count and the receivers out wide. That's my lifelong dream right there. And you also mentioned memorizing Madden rosters. I'll tell you my little funny story here. I used to get the um, Pro Football Weekly season previews, and I would read all the, the content and memorize the rosters and then recite them when I would go for jogs outside. So that's like my oh, nerd, nice. my very nerd football thing. But we've got you on here to talk about both Dolphins receivers and the college receivers and this draft coming up in just a couple of weeks here. And I have to start off, before we get to the receiver class in the draft, talking about Will Fuller because, A, through my own tape study, I think he is an elite, elite-level wide receiver. And B, the data you shared with regards to his win rate by route run is that of an elite, elite wide receiver. So, Matt, how good is Will Fuller? Yeah, I think the 2020 version of Will Fuller was incredible. I've always been a big fan of his because one thing that you come to realize when you study uh, wide receivers you know, on a route-by-route -route basis and watch how often they're getting separation you start to not care about things like drops and like people forget about this, but Will Fuller was slammed coming into the league as a guy that couldn't catch the ball, which is crazy. Cause he he's had, you know, like he had one big drop. I can remember when he was playing with the Texans against the Patriots in a playoff game. I mean, he has Brock Osweiler throwing the ball for God's sake. So like maybe let's, the one drop is not the biggest problem that the team might've had, but you know, this is a guy that never really developed those drop issues. And I think when you, look at him even on a year by year basis, he'd always been a really strong separator in reception perception. You know, I break things down not only by success rate versus man zone press coverage, but also by individual routes. You know, he'd always had a really good, and if people go to receptionperception.com and they sign up for the site, they can see not only uh, Will Fuller's 2020 season, but go compare it to his 2019 season as well, which I think is really useful because it shows you, even if you don't get the 2020 version of the player, you're looking at 2019 Excellent success rate on deep routes, of course. We know that's part of it. But also routes like the flat, the curl, you know, some of those more shorter layup patterns that are going to be important for moving an offense down the field. And, and what I always liked about Fuller, too, playing with the Texans before 2020 was he just put defenses in such a bind. This is why I think a, a player like Jalen Waddell is really going to be appealing for folks in the draft. And Fuller was never that number one receiver because the Texans had DeAndre Hopkins. And it's like, okay, we want to uh, – to put some extra defensive attention to stopping DeAndre Hopkins, but then you're going to leave Will Fuller on your number two corner uh, exposed there on the other side of the field with no help. 
you're going to get destroyed. And those, those games where it was Watson Hopkins and, and Will Fuller, those guys fired off together. It was real uh, magic, but going back to the 2020 season, which I think is really, of course, the important part here, this was a player that jumped up uh, huge in terms of success rate versus press. Like the Texans used him as an alpha wide receiver out there as the ISO X guy, basically just put him in DeAndre Hopkins old spot and he had the best season of his career. And you can look at that, you know, look at that down the route tree as well. Only one route did he fall below the NFL average in terms of success rate. And that was the out route. Everything else, like the Dolphins are getting a complete player in the peak version of Will Fuller. And, uh, you know, it's, it is sort of interesting to talk about, like, where did this 2020 season come from? Um, but I think he had this ability in him all along, and it was just taking that next step of development. So even, again, at bare minimum, if you get the 2019 version of Fuller, you're getting a really strong number two receiver that wins in the most important areas, wins vertically, right? And in the contested game, too, he's always been an underrated contested catch receiver. So you're bare minimum getting that player, but the 2020 version does show he has true number one receiver upside in him as well. I'm glad you mentioned the impact that he and those receivers in Houston have on the offense in general because I went back and watched this tape this last year and teams play too high safety because you got him and Kenny Stills on the other side, you know, taking the top off the defense. That can have such a big benefit, not just for the run game, but for Mike Gesicki and Devontae Parker over the middle and all the possession receivers the Dolphins have in that regard. So, yeah, I, I couldn't be more excited about it. I'm glad you mentioned his old tape because I went back and watched him his rookie year compared to 2020, and he was running, like you mentioned, curls, screens, flats. He wasn't doing a whole lot in the route tree, but now he ran the whole damn thing and looked good doing it. So that's great to hear. Let's go ahead and transition now into this college class, another one that is coming in as build possibly one of the best receiver classes of all time, again, for back-to-back years. And I want to stay on that frame of mind of the prototype. And one thing I've been on about this offseason, Matt, is the type of receiver this offense could use. And I don't have a prototype per se for what Miami might want, but consider Parker, Williams, Hollins, even a tight end, Mike Gesicki. These guys are contested catches type of dudes. So separators, yak, that sort of thing. So before we break into this thing into tiers, as far as who's in your first tier, second tier, and so forth, I want to get your best in class by category. Does that work for you? I love that idea. And I think it's perfect for the Dolphins too, because of, like you said, what they need. They had a lot of guys that were redundant with each other last year. I think they have a good start with Fuller, but there's a lot of room they can have in this draft class as well. That's a word I've used a lot, redundancy. So let's go ahead and get into it. who's, Who's the best separator in this class? Yeah, I think the best separator, it's easy. Uh, it's Devontae Smith because when you break it down by – look, I, actually, I think folks, if they do go to Reception Perception and they subscribe and they see the rookie uh, data that's going to be hitting the site on Monday morning, uh, it's it's they're going to look at it and, and they're going to see, look, Jalen Waddle is really high in terms of success rate versus man coverage. He's right up there. But when you look at success rate across the route tree, uh, across uh, press coverage and man coverage – you're looking at Devontae Smith as a guy that just knows how to get open. And uh, I, I, we can talk more about Smith and, and the, um, you know, the weight concerns, the, 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 the BMI concerns and all that, and, and sort of how you reconcile that when you're talking about him as a prospect. But I think in terms of just best separator, there's a lot of really good separators that I really like in this class. But I think Smith does uh, take the cake there. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. We, uh, I, I was expecting a different direction, you know, the guy that everyone bills as a top receiver, but I'm with you on Devontae Smith, and I'm sure we'll get to that guy here in just a second. But who is the best yards after catch? Is it possibly Smith's teammate there at Alabama? This is interesting, right? Because this is, another, again, this is a class where I, 
not only do I like a lot of these guys as separators, I also think there's some really good yards after catch threat players. Um, you know, I, I think of a player like Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. He's he's there as well. Uh, you mentioned Jalen Waddle's a good uh, a good a good bet there too. Maybe not from the physicality standpoint. Where and it's kind of like, do you want to talk about yards after catch from from just a literally piling up yards after the catch? Because Waddle can do that in bunches. But if you're talking about like physical guys that break tackles, and this is just a personal. Um, like a personal bias. Those are the players because I do chart, like how often do you break one tackle, two tackles, get down on first contact, everything like that. I do chart that as well in reception perception. So I end up, I feel like preferring those guys that break tackles with physicality and Jamar chase, who is, you know, the consensus top receiver. He's really underrated in that yards after catch uh, way that he, that's sort of why he's a tough player to find a comparison for. I know I've seen Devonte Adams. I've seen, um, like a faster Anquan Bolden from my buddy Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network. But the one I kind of landed on with him is early career Larry Fitzgerald because Fitzgerald was so good. Um, we think of him now as this big slot receiver, almost like a tight end type of player. But Jamar Chase, I think, fits into that early career fits when he was absolutely dominant in some of those Kurt Warner offenses for the Arizona Cardinals. But I said all that. Uh, I, the guy I'm going to give it to, though, the best yards after catch to the breaking tackles for physicality. And people don't think of this guy in this way, but it's Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. I love him as a separator. I love him as a contestant catch receiver. I think his 2019 film, yeah. which is the film that I decided to go back and chart because, you know, 2020, I think people don't really know this, but he was dealing, he actually had COVID and had a rough battle with it and like lost a bunch of weight and just wasn't himself. And he was playing in the slot after being an outside X receiver in 2019. His 2019 film, I think, is up there with Jamar Chase, is up there with Devontae Smith in terms of the best in the class. So I'm going to give it to Bateman because I think he is really underrated in how good he is after the catch. Uh, my, my good my good friend Matt Waldman, who writes the Rookie yep. Scouting Portfolio, compared him to, like, pre-route. He, this is my same comparison for Bateman, is Keenan Allen, like Justin Jefferson, that type of player. But post-catch, He's almost like Cordero Patterson, which like you don't want to be Cordero Patterson running routes, right? Because he's uh, he's like a running back at this point. But he's an he's even an awesome after catch right, which is why he's one of the best kick returners yep. in NFL history. And you mentioned Jamar Chase, the the physicality of, of the yak, and you see that in the way he gets off of the release off the line, the way he's just so physical. So that that checks out. Rashad Bateman's uh, 2019 tape. I'm glad you mentioned that because I always got confused watching him wear number 13 and switch to number zero. That always threw me off for some reason. But yeah, that, that's a great note about about having COVID, and that's something you don't think about. And and you know that's it's a much bigger deal. I think people let on about. So great stuff there, Matt. How about you might have covered this again already, but the best contested catch receiver in this class. Yeah, um, I'm almost tempted to be a contrarian and give it to uh, Devontae Smith because I think the funny part about him is, you know, he's yeah. a small guy, right? Everyone's worried about the uh, the size and the BMI and everything. But, like, you watch him play. Like, he wins. He boxes out, wins uh, contested catches against SEC defenders down the field in the short area, intermediate, like wherever you want. Um, he plays with a ton of physicality, but I'm going to go with consensus here and I've got to give it to Jamar Chase. Sure. I think he is the best 50 50 ball receiver in this draft class, not just because he wins, but he gets a lot of those contested catches because he plays so much downfield. Um, I, I definitely have some questions about Chase as a, as a intermediate level separator. I think he can run slants. I think he can run some of those shorter patterns, but you know, some of the, some of the more, you know, the curls, the digs, the outs, stuff like that, more in that intermediate range, I got got some questions there, but he's such a good downfield receiver. 
And I love the, like the idea of him running downfield routes with how good he is as a contested catch threat as well. You had mentioned Will Fuller kind of playing that X position role and, and filling in for DeAndre Hopkins and doing the whole entire route tree, the whole gamut from that position. And, you know, going back to what Coach Flores talks about all the time, they like to have guys that play multiple positions, and that's not just yeah. restrictive to the defensive side of the football. Like, Devontae Parker kicks inside and plays slot a lot. People don't realize that because of his size and the downfield prowess, but he plays slot and he gets open at that position quite frequently. And so... You know, Lynn Bowden's a slot guy. Jakeem Grant does a little bit of both inside outside. Uh, you know, we talk about Devontae Parker. He might be more of a traditional X receiver who does kick inside sometimes. So taking all of that into account, you know, I guess this might be a, a grouping question here. I want to know about who's the best inside, who's the best outside, and who's the best combination of both in this draft class. I, I love that's a fantastic point about positional versatility at wide receivers. It's one thing that um, I probably didn't take into account enough about in reception perception in the early days of, you know, I've been doing this now for seven NFL seasons. So uh, I like to say a lot on, on podcasts and it shows that like, I probably made statements based on reception perception data, you know, three, four years ago that I would never say now, because <laughs> that's just the benefit of more data, more context. Like at this point I have, 300 NFL players in the database. Like I pretty much know what the data is telling us, you know, but at different times during the, the charting process, I didn't always know that. And one thing I think is key is where players line up can often dictate the results of their route metrics of their success rate versus coverage metrics. Or on the other hand, you know, for a player, I always bring it to back to like Juju Smith-Schuster or Cooper cup. Like those guys don't win at a very high rate against man or press coverage, but who cares? Cause they are those big slot receivers. They do so often line up against smaller corners on the inside or, uh, or even linebackers in zone coverage. Like if those guys can beast against zone coverage, I'm not too worried about the fact that they can't get off press. So I do love a guy though, that can play all three positions, the X, the flanker, the slot, what have you. And I think there's a lot of like inside outside guys in this class. There's so many, uh, players that are, are slot receivers. Like I mentioned Elijah Moore earlier. I think he might be the best pure slot receiver. I, I know Jalen Waddle again, he lined up a ton in the slot for Alabama. I think he can play outside. I'm a little more confident that he can be an outside receiver for Elijah Moore. He just so rarely faced press coverage. Uh, only 6.5% of his sampled routes and reception perception came against press. That's in, like, incredibly low. That's nothing. And he's a great separator, but I think he could probably fit into that Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, uh, mold of players. I, honestly, sometimes and I know this is like wide receiver blasphemy, but sometimes there are some shades of Antonio Brown, like early career Antonio Brown, the way he transitioned, like plucks a ball out of the air and transitions yeah. to a yards after catch threat. The way that he uh, he 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 wins with foot quickness at the break point of his routes. There are definitely some shades of Antonio Brown to Elijah Moore's game. So maybe he could be an outside receiver, but I think from just a pure slot perspective, he's the best in the class to me. I think if you're looking at outside separation, uh, it is Devontae Smith, but I think prototype wise, I think you have to give it to Rashad Bateman there uh, simply because, you know, he's again, he has played both. So maybe he's actually the answer to the best inside outside designation, um, but he's just so was so much more effective as an outside vertical receiver. I tend to think he has the upside to be a traditional X that can play on the outside. And, and sure, it's smart to, to give your top receiver 
20, 30% of their routes from the slot because it's just so much easier throwing to the slot than it is into the tight windows outside. So I think he's probably the answer there in terms of outside separator. And you know, I actually think Jamar Chase could be a guy that could could do both. Could, yeah, could maybe, like I said, Larry Fitzgerald maybe transition from – he was a pure X receiver in college, faced a ton of press, faced a ton of hard man coverage, and that's why you see so many of those – contested passes for him but at the same time I think in the pros maybe in that Larry Fitzgerald mold the Michael Thomas mold he could become an inside outside guy like that and I actually think that might be the best way to optimally use him as a pro just real quick before I move on to a, a topic I'm really excited to ask you about here well, you mentioned Elijah Moore I can see the excitement both in your voice and your face about the prospect of this I love player. this guy he's great I, <laughs> I, I am too I, I put a thread up about him like two weeks ago I just I can't the quickness and the after the catch and the contesting, I mean, it's all its all there. It's fun to watch. But when you consider a guy that maybe is restrictive, not completely restrictive inside, but more so than other prospects, like what's the value of that in the draft? Because I'm thinking pick 18 might be too high for that. Pick 36 maybe the range, maybe pick 50 for the Dolphins. Like where does that typical value come off the board? Yeah, in, in some way, we've gotten so far to the point with slot receivers that they've essentially replaced a fullback as the starter or like the, the 11th starter on a football team. Like everybody lives in 11 personnel for the most part. Um, like you want to have that really good slot receiver. So, but I also think we, we developed so much of the slot receiver that there's different types of guys, you know, the big slots in terms of uh, the Juju Cooper cup that I mentioned earlier, they're different from what I like to call the the pop gun slot receivers, like a Jamison Crowder, or even like a Cole Beasley up there in Buffalo, you know, inside the AFC East there. Those are two examples of that type of player. And then I think of guys that are still smaller, but true vertical weapons yeah. from the slot. And I think, that fits that Tyler Lockett, uh, Doug Baldwin mold uh, of players. They're, they're always my go-to examples there. I think Adam Thielen has been that player at different times in his career too. He's sort of a mix of that big slot, but also the vertical weapon from the slot as well. I think those guys, that third group there, the the vertical weapons from the slot, the Lockett, the Baldwin, uh, the, the Adam Thielen guys, I think there's enough tactical value to cons- like consider them just as good as having a good outside receiver. Like all of those guys too, all three of those players I mentioned can play and function outside. You know, they're not like a Jamison Crowder. Like you have to use a Jamison Crowder in the slot. I do think Elijah Moore, cause he's just such a good separator. I think he can hack it outside as a flanker, just like I think Tyler Lockett uh, or Adam Thielen can hack it outside as, as a flanker as well. So I don't think there's a huge gap between a really good first round pick at, at an outside receiver and a really good first round pick uh, in those vertical weapons slot receivers. Uh, I, I think the 18 range is fine there. It's just about how much do you want to value the wide receiver position as, as a whole, because you know, this is a whole nother conversation we can have. This position is so, so damn deep at this point. Like <laughs> 2020 was the year that wide receiver was supposed to be the strength of the, of the, the draft. It's sort of that again this year, but even like 2018, 2019 those classes were considered like weak wide receiver drafts but like the stars of today and tomorrow came out of those classes you talk about calvin ridley uh terry mclaurin aj brown dk metcalf like those guys came out those years and and like just took the wide receiver position when we weren't expecting it took it to a whole nother level i'm shaking my head because it's ridiculous I, I go back to daniel jeremiah's advice go Go play corner, man. Go play cornerback. You'll, you'll have a better chance, a better path to, to getting that big payday someday. Uh, 
Yeah. Matt, Matt Harmon, Yahoo Sports, and the reception perception, just fantastic stuff there. And you mentioned this off air before we got on the podcast here. You worked with Next Gen Stats and incorporated that stuff into your work at NFL.com when you were previously there. And, you know, alternative data has always been an attractive thing to me, obviously, with the charting and whatnot. And I think in any sport, there's going to be a little bit of initial pause with regards to, you know, possible new procedure, new ways of thinking. But I've also heard the lack of in-person type of scouting processes, you know, during this pandemic has helped introduce some new ways of looking at players, at the very least increased it to the use of the pre-pandemic days. So how much have you incorporated GPS and player tracking into your scouting process? And are teams using that stuff pretty heavily as well? I think they're they're really tempted to get it to a point where where teams want to use it much more than they were. Like, I, I'm telling you, man, I was at the NFL in summer 2015. That's when I started. That's when I moved out here to L.A. for that job. And, you know, the next-gen guys, God bless them, like, gave this big – presentation to a room full of like me and um, and what by the way I'm sitting there like what what the hell am I doing you know like <laughs> like Bucky Brooks Imposter and uh, syndrome, a bunch right? of like former players are are in there like getting this getting this presentation and everybody's just kind of like no yeah. Not in like not interested, not in, and like not interested in watching these like little dots move on the field or how fast everyone's going. Meanwhile, you know, goofball like low level uh, uh, editor that I was then, I was like, I'm oh, very interested in this, you know. <laughs> like so, I, I have always had a fascination to it, and I've always like basically from then on like tried to work with next gen as much as possible. Like I said, I'm not there anymore. So I'm not really doing this work at this point, but you know, back then I was in its infancy in 2015, I think you're right. It was a very like, "Mm, I don't know about all that type of situation, but, and I think they've gotten better and better about putting out metrics that, that really tell the story of the game. And I think that's the biggest thing for me with, with like media facing analytics. It's all about, and even like reception perception, right? There's, there's a, a, a deeper degree of that because I'm actually like telling you what went on in uh, on a game, right? Like I'm watching an absolutely absurd amount of routes. Nobody should do this. <laughs> like watching an absurd amount of game film, absurd amount of routes to tell you what happened in the game. And I think that's the biggest thing when like with analytics and data, it can, they can tell you better than almost anything else, like what happened in a game, but you still need, you know, folks like yourself or, you know, maybe me or whatever, like someone to tell you why, like why this happened this way. And so that was always my philosophy with uh, NGS and and next-gen tracking data. But on the team side of it, I think the speed of the game is something they're really trying to hone down on. You know, I've heard Daniel Jeremiah, like there's been DJ owes me like a a cup of coffee or something. We've name dropped him like 50 times here, but um, (laughs) you know, I've heard him talk about like basically teams essentially want to just throw out the 40 at some point and only focus on that GPS data. And, you know, I, you know, a lot of people used to raise their eyebrows at it. Cause it's like, what do I care that, Tyree Kill ran 23 miles per hour uh, and, you know, Stefan Diggs ran 22 miles per hour at their top speed when, yeah, they're just in the open field. But if you can break it down by, you know, against this coverage on this third down play when he's running this route, like that can be really helpful in scouting for sure. Yeah, when the ball's in the air, how fast is he moving, right? Like how much can he separate once the ball has left the quarterback's hand? That's It's so fascinating to me how – you know, we have this very, not archaic way because tape still is king, you know, but to introduce the analytics and to really just hone in on those things, it's it's so cool to me. And I'm, I'm excited about the possible future of what the NFL has in that. So Matt, on this podcast, I've asked every positional expert, you're my second to last interview here, going position by position here. We have running backs coming up later this week. Uh, 
I've been asking to separate the classes by tiers. And I think I probably have a good idea for who your top tier is, um, you know, where they go off the board. But where's that drop off in terms of who's in that second tier? Um, maybe Rashad Bateman's in that first tier for you. Can you go through your first couple of tiers for us and how you separate those two? Yeah, I do think Rashad Bateman is in that top tier. Uh, I think the first tier is Devontae Smith, J- Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, and Rashad Bateman's in that tier. You know, and, and I, you could flip those guys around in terms of rankings, uh, whatever. I think that next tier, and I'm t- honestly, I'm tempted to put Elijah Moore in that first tier. You, you, you can tell, like, the excitement that I, I talk about this guy with, but simply because of the questions about how much, like, slot is he going to play or how much, like, we just such limited exposure of him against press coverage. And and he's, he's good against press uh, when he does face it, but there's just, you know, there's going to be some transition questions there. I'll probably put him at the very, very top of that second tier and the second tier of players is interesting. Uh, Diami De- Brown, Diami Brown from uh, UNC. Uh, I'm probably screwing his first name up. I actually don't think I've ever actually said it out loud. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, he's he's a player from UNC that I really like in a way that, like, you know, what we talk about Will Fuller, like what people thought he was going to be coming into the NFL. You know, just a vertical threat, a guy that probably can't really play uh, X receiver, uh, but and he's going to drop a lot of passes, but he's going to make big plays down the field. I like Brown and sort of that, like I said, what people thought Will Fuller, the haters, what the haters thought Will Fuller was going to be. I think Brown can actually be that player where he makes some mistakes. He has some drops, doesn't really always uh, win in a contested game, but man, he gets downfield. He's tough. He's physical. And I think he has some upside uh, to be a starting player in the NFL. Uh, Terrace Marshall, he's another guy in that second tier. Uh, another player that I, I think can be that guy as well. So it's, it's an interesting group when you get into that second tier of players. And then it comes down to like those four guys in the first tier. I think you can figure it out. Like any team can find a way to deploy those guys and they'll be good pros. The next tier is where it's going to come down to fit a uh, scheme quarterback, all of that type of stuff or where, how much success they're going to find. Even if they always do, like I said, you, know, you can isolate them and, and, um, their individual performance can be great in reception perception, but if you want to like, find the best fit for them, I do think there it's going to sort of come down to um, come down to that fit. Tylen Wallace is another guy too. I didn't mention him. He, he's a player that I think his, his best days might've not been his most recent season, but I, I really do like his ability as a separator uh, and as a downfield guy as well. I was really bummed out when he got injured back in 2019. Like you mentioned, he was yeah. having a hell of a season that year and winds up getting hurt. So yeah, he's a, he's a good looking receiver. You mentioned something there about Elijah Moore, maybe some of the perception about being, you know, kind of pigeonholed. That kind of reminds me of Rondell Moore a little bit because he didn't have it on tape and didn't wasn't asked to do a lot of the intermediate and vertical stuff, but he just broke so many tackles before the line of scrimmage that they didn't have to have him do that. So that's a good way to look at it too. Like not just don't look at a guy's tape at college and say he can't do it because he wasn't asked to do it. It's a very interesting dynamic there. So let's say Miami winds up with Jamar Chase or Devonte Smith or Jalen Waddle or Rashad Bateman, whoever it might be. Let's say they get one of those guys early and they circle back on day three. And maybe you go more fit here with Tua and the offense and the quick rhythm game. Who do you like as a possible day three fit with Miami at the receiver position? Yeah, I think, I don't know how you feel about this with Tua, but I thought coming into the NFL, he was very much like a timing anticipatory yep. passer, you know, in that sort of Drew Brees mold um I, I actually talked to Tua recently and, and like made that comparison to him. Was, I, was, I could tell I could yeah right I could tell he was like 
ah, that's a little aggressive. I was like, come on, man. I'm trying to hype you up here. Like, give me a break. <laughs> um, I, I think, though, that like he that was what was interesting at first. Like when they were coming into this receiver core last year, you know, they were really like more Fitzpatrick guys, right? Like the big contested receivers, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams. Those guys are not by any means great separators, but they are those great 50, 50 ball receivers. It was just like kind of an interesting fit um, there. If you're looking at, if you're looking at just again, stylistically what, what I think Tua needs. And, and I think, all of these guys can be that from that tier one can be that type of uh, stylistic fit with Tua, you know, someone that gets clean separation, can win on in-breaking routes, can play a lot of different positions. I think those are fits there too. Um, just in terms of like more day three guys that could fit into that uh, quick separation way, you know, that might not have the same upside. I look at Amon Ross St. Brown from USC. He might be a day two guy. He might be an early day three player as well. There doesn't seem to be a ton of buzz on him, but I could see him fitting into sort of that pure slot receiver mold that like gets that quick inside outside um, free release uh, and and could win in his routes that way. He's a player that I would at least keep an eye on. Um, Also uh, Amari Rogers. I don't know if he's, you know, again, it's hard to say where these guys are going to go, but he's another player that could go in the, in the third round uh, in the fourth round. They could also be that type of separator. They can give, you know, Miami a guy that they're not going to funnel a ton of targets to, especially if, they pick a player in the first round and they also had Devontae Parker and Will Fuller, but someone to add some more bodies to that room. And then if you're looking at like, do we want another big play uh, type of type of guy? I would look at James Darden uh, as well. He or Jalen Darden, excuse me. He's, he's a guy that could win uh, vertically. He's a smaller player. I know Miami has a ton of like small gadgety type of receivers, but uh, if you're looking for more speed, he's a guy to look at as well. We have a ton of receivers in general, 12 in total right now. So they're all over the place. I know. They suddenly just like got, flo- you know, my guy, Albert Wilson, I've always liked Albert Wilson. He's, he's coming back after the opt out. Like they had just a, like a ton of guys like flushing back into the room there. Albert Wilson, Alan Hearns coming back. People forget about Lynn Bowden. People forget about Malcolm Perry last year was a fun player, you know, coming out of the draft process. And I have to tell my audience, I did not grease Matt before this podcast because Matt, you just talked about something that I feel like I've been trying to convince people of for a long time about replicating this type of speed athletic you know quick receivers with Tua and I've had a hard I've kind of met some resistance on that point as far as like well we'll just get him good receivers no there's there's stylistically some things you can do to really you know magnify his strength so I appreciate you following along there this is the first time we've ever talked so I did not agree yeah. on that point I do want to bring it home with this though you but it's so true though just just to hammer on on that uh, since since uh, since we brought it up like this probably happened to be about three or three years ago or so like doing reception perception. And, you know, I guess I'm an idiot. I didn't think about this until then, but like I'm spending so much time with wide receivers. You're inherently spending so much time with quarterbacks. And I think you start to learn a lot about a quarterback based on the wide receivers that they thrive with. Um, And I I bring it back to Cooper cup again, like Jared Goff just could, would kind of go on the fritz whenever Cooper cup was out of the lineup. And I think it's clearly because, Jared Goff wants to see this guy open wide open against zone coverage in the middle of the field and hit him on those layup throws over and over and over again. Um, I bring it to, you know, Carolina in 2019, they had Curtis Samuel as a vertical threat that just, they, the Kyle Allen, like couldn't get that guy, the ball, but DJ Moore running 35 slants and digs per game in on those like more rhythm layup routes. Kyle Allen was working well with DJ Moore in a real throwback example that uh, everybody probably forgets about uh, Michael Crabtree. This is one of like reception perceptions, early back pats. Uh, like in the first year of doing this 
full, fully full season charting in 2014, you know, Michael Crabtree was coming from the San Francisco 49ers to the Oakland Raiders. People basically left Crabtree for dead on that free agent market. Um, but what reception perception was showing was like, this is a guy that still runs those timing and rhythm routes really well, sort of in the same mold of what I would love to see the dolphins get for Tua, a guy that can win. And I think even Jamar chase, like I know I've seen people like Nate Tice from uh, the athletic football show, compare Jamar chase to Michael Crabtree. And I think, you know, Larry Fitzgerald, Michael Crabtree, there's some connective tissue there as well, but he runs those timing and rhythm routes. Well, that was just not a good fit with the player that Colin Kaepernick had become uh, at that point in his career. He was very much more of a see it, throw it guy that could, like he could rifle that ball to, to Anquan Bolden. No problem. Cause like Anquan Bolden doesn't need to be open to catch the ball. Right. But when going from uh, the player Kaepernick had become to uh, Derek Carr, who is like not nearly the, 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 the type of physical talent that Colin Kaepernick was, but was a much more timing based thrower. Um, you know, and Derek Carr's got a lot of flaws, but I think one of his best uh, traits is that he does feel the timing and the rhythm of a play very well. Um, and knows where th- and smart, like knows when things are coming open. Crabtree had a couple of good years with Oakland before eventually moving on as well. You know, so this is, it's so key when you're scouting wide receivers, when you're trying to find out their best fit, I do think reception perception is a good tool for that as well, uh, because it matters so much. You know, you could be a good wide receiver and even be a productive wide receiver and like even be playing with a good quarterback. But if the stylistic fit is not there, it's just not going to happen the way people want it to. Yeah, that chemistry takes, you know, it can kind of develop quickly when you have that that fit and maybe does never develop so you don't have that type of fit. And with this draft, like you mentioned, hopefully plenty of options for all kinds of styles with this receiver class. But I want to finish up talking about one player who's not a receiver, but he kind of is. And you and I talked about it <laughs> off air about how good this guy is. And everyone's got him going, you know, first player off the board, first non-quarterback off the board, Kyle Pitts. And, you know, I've talked about how you can add him to the to the running game, and it gives you an extra gap. If you have 12 personnel, two more gaps to your running game, and then the defense has to make a decision. Do we stay in base? Because then I can flex him and Gasicki out, and all of a sudden I've got a linebacker on two basically wide receivers. Or if they want to go six defensive backs and go dime, now I've got 40 pounds on your DB in the running game. So it's a fun balance to talk about. I want to hear you talk about Kyle Pitts, where he should go off the board, and is he really that true matchup, dynamic, game-changing piece that so many people think he is? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a ton of skepticism about taking a tight end that high because the, the, the history of it's not great, um, you know, but Kyle Pitts is not Eric Ebron. Like, Kyle Pitts is not TJ Hawkinson. Like, if you flex – Hawkins is a pretty decent player. Uh, Ebron's even had his moments. But, like, if you flex uh, TJ Hawkinson, like, out wide or something, an X receiver, like, a cornerback is just going to laugh in your face because, like, sure, he's bigger than him, but he's a lot slower. Kyle Pitts is not that guy. Like Kyle Pitts can line up everywhere. As you mentioned, he might be uh, one of the better receivers in the draft class if he was just a wide receiver, but I think he presents so much more tactical value as that tight end. And I love the fit with Miami. I don't, I don't know if he's going to get there. Like he might go pick four. He might go pick five. He really is that good. But if he's sitting there staring at, you know, staring him at the face at six, I would really think long and hard about, going with Pitts there, even though I like Jamar Chase, I like Devonta Smith, like Jalen Waddle, like all these receivers that are probably going, going to go in the top half of the first round of the NFL draft. I think we, we talked about it, like wide receivers deep, you know, you can find an impact wide receiver and you already have like two guys. I think Parker and Fuller is a, there, there's not a lot of long-term stability there because Fuller's only on a one-year deal. Parker at some point is going to come up as well. There's not a lot of long-term stability there, but for 
2021, and I think the priority for 2021 is like at all costs, let's get Tua going. You know, let's put something around him that can work. You got two guys that are competent starting receivers, and at 18 or 36 or whatever, you can come back for some of these second tier wide receivers as well. So I, I would love Pitts's fit in Miami because it's as you mentioned, yeah, they have Mike Gusecki and I like Mike Gusecki, but number one, Mike Gusecki not, you know, a player that would prevent you from taking perhaps the best player in the draft. You know, no, almost no one is at that level. Like you just get good players and you figure the rest out later. And also, by the way, like if Mike Gusecki ever had a season where the Dolphins were going to franchise tag him, you bet his representatives are going to be in that front office lately. Hey, look at where he lines up. You know, look yeah. at how often he lines up in the slot. Like, you're probably going to have to tag this guy as a wide receiver, right? Like, you know they're going to try to do that Jimmy Graham thing. So you can, as you mentioned, the options are limitless. Like, I think if the – like, compare what the Dolphins were playing with in, like, week 15, week 14 of last season to then week one – or, no, sorry, week yeah, two. Because we'll pull yeah. those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got to get – I'm going to have to get used to that. That's going to be know. almost as hard as trying to remember that we have a 17-game season know, now. Uh, and those And those records and everything. Uh, but think about that. Week two of the 2021 NFL season, like you said, you've got Pitts and Gusecki as your, you know uh, – tight ends, but also you put Gusecki as that big slot, and then you've got Parker at X and Fuller at Z, or maybe vice versa. Ooh. You can move those guys around. That is a huge <laughs> improvement. Uh, and then again, maybe you do have another receiver waiting in the wings that you took later on in the draft from this very interesting and deep class. Um, there's a lot of potential there. If I was Miami, I think I would just simply from the rarity of not just a player like Kyle Pitts, but also the tight end position in general is kind of a pain to figure out as it is like anyone who plays fantasy football can tell you that it's a pain to try to find a good tight end out there. Uh, It's I I would go with Pitts, I think over, over some of these receivers, May, June, July, August, September, we got about five months until the start of football season. You've got me fired up, Matt. You're talking about that lineup at hard rock stadium, getting out there in the hundred degree weather, hundred percent humidity down here in South Florida. I can't wait for it. Matt Harmon, Yahoo Sports, Reception Perception. I know you're dropping something big on Monday. Where can the people find you on social? What are you working on? Promote the work, Matt. Yeah, of course. Uh, on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Don't bother following me on Instagram unless you really like dogs uh, or <laughs> cooking pictures. So let me just stick with Twitter, at Matt Harmon underscore. And who doesn't like those things, though, you know, right? <laughs> at Matt Harmon underscore BYB on Twitter. Use the hashtag Reception Perception to keep up with what's going on there. And ReceptionPerception.com is, is the... Uh, is the URL, is the site. Uh, it, the, per, the subscriptions will be available hopefully before Monday. But uh, yeah, Monday we'll be dropping all of the rookie, co- like some of these rookies we talked about today, they're going to get dropped right away. And then before the NFL draft, the rest of the 12 or 15 guys that I've worked on this offseason, those will be up there as well. And then in the summer, I mean, Will Fuller is already on the site. Uh, he's up there because he was a free agent. But we're talking about, you know, 40 plus 50 plus NFL players are going to be added to the site by the time training camps open in the off season. They're just, you're, you're going to get un like if you're a fan of reception perception before this, you're going to get more access than you ever have before to the data. Trust me on that. Or uh, if you are new to the series, you're going to get blown away by all the information that's about to hit you in the face. You're doing yourself a disservice as a football fan. If you do not use this resource, it's so valuable, Matt. We really appreciate your time today, man. Let's come back and do this maybe in training camp and preview this receiver room when it is complete. Maybe. Yeah, let's let's run this all back again because it's going to be I think it's going to be a pretty fun group. And I'm, I'm actually excited about the Dolphins offense for sure. I can't wait. Thanks a lot, Matt. I appreciate it, man. And away he goes. And, you know, I told Matt this off air 
about how I'm always a little bit, you kind of dip your toe in with a podcast guest you never interviewed before. With Matt, before we got on the air, we were laughing like football dorks. Like you can tell when someone loves it like you do, and he definitely takes it to another level in that regard. You heard him giggling on the podcast and geeking out about these prospects. That's what makes this job so fun, the love and the passion and the fire for it. We are way over time, but I don't think anyone's complaining out there. We are going to go ahead and wrap up this podcast, though, because as for today's time, that will be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast and MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.